Are you ready for the madness? Break out a pencil and fill out your brackets as I'll go through the regions and top storylines for what could be an NCAA tournament that we've never seen. Kevin Durant and the Suns dodge a missile as he won't be out of the lineup longer than originally feared. The wildcard race in the NHL's Eastern Conference could be a crazy ride over the next month. The Panthers are going all in as they trade for the number one overall pick. And the Rams ship an all-pro to South Beach to increase the Dolphins' chance for AFC supremacy. The Yankees are looking like a mash unit, especially in their starting rotation. Any cause for concern? No worries here. As you know, I got you covered when it comes to all that's happening in the world of sports. It's all coming up. But first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. Especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J-Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, alright? The J-Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The clocks have been turned up. The days are now longer. Spring is officially one week from today. The Ides of March are approaching and here to jumpstart your week with another rapid fire, highly opinionated, and full of in-depth analysis on what's going on in the sports universe as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And it is a March 13th, which is weird. Kind of a, not going to say eerie anniversary, but when you think back three years ago to this time, especially in this country, and trust me, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but just to let you know, From time to time, I come out and discuss about how time flies, how we have to always stay present and be in the moment and not look too far ahead and certainly do not look behind. But here is a scenario where three years ago today was the beginning of the, not necessarily lockdown, but the warning that coronavirus has hit the U.S. and pretty much shut the sports world down. When you think back as far as the Big East tournament, Obviously, the NBA, NHL, and just put everything to a hush. Three years. Where's it gone? Where's the time flown? It's amazing to think that it's been three years. I know for some, it may be three long years. For others, it may be the fastest three years that they've ever experienced. But I just thought to bring that up on this day 
And one more time, not to go down that rabbit hole to unpack everything that happened during that time, during that day, and everything that the world has changed pretty much on its ear, although it has come down to some sort of normalcy, but I just wanted to bring that up before we get started, because this time three years ago, we didn't have, forget about conference championship week, that just got eradicated, as well as the NCAA tournament. Anything that happened for the NHL and NBA, no postseason until we got to the summertime. Baseball, we know, didn't start till July. NFL, typical, was not affected by any way, shape, or form. So I just thought to bring that up before we get started. And now let me pivot so I could discuss the madness. Let it begin tomorrow, Wednesday with the first four. And then, of course, to me. And I know I've been saying this weeks on end. But the tournament truly begins Thursday, a little bit afternoon, where we'll have wall-to-wall college basketball Thursday, Friday, even into the weekend. But we all know that the first two days, 32 basketball games, brackets, which I'm sure will be blown into smithereens, you're going to have to have your head on a swivel to follow and monitor it all. And here to get you started... On everything and anything that's tournament related, I got you covered. And let's start with the storylines that I feel heading into this tournament are big and ones to pay attention to. And I'll start off with the 4-1 seeds. How about we go there? The number one seed overall in the tournament is Alabama. And one of the things I hadn't discussed going back a few weeks where there was some turmoil there with a couple of the players, including their top player, Brandon Miller, and another Darius Miles who had to be kicked off the team because of the unfortunate incidents and the tragedy in the killing of a young woman, which did get publicity. I know I didn't really share that here on the podcast over the last few weeks. Not to say I wanted to save it. Not to say that I wanted to just sweep it under the rug or dismiss it because you know that I would bring up something like this especially in a scenario where you have a top team and now the number one team in the country who is going to have a bullseye on them and excuse the pun, but it certainly was not intentional. But for the Alabama team and the woman, Jamia Harris, I just wanted to, of course, show my respects toward her and a gun that was passed from Brandon Miller to Darius Miles, which was used in a shooting late at night in January And the firestorm that had swept in this story going back to, I would say, the last few weeks where I know the coach, Nate Oates, not that he tried to dismiss it, not that he tried to sugarcoat or not unpack this, but pretty much was going to defend this player and make sure that he was going to shield him as best as he possibly can, which obviously is not a good look. We understand he's not going to destroy the player or put him down, but we all know that this is a scenario where maybe perhaps Miller should have taken some time away from the team because now that we're into the tournament or about to start the tournament and knowing that Alabama is going to be a team that could go to a Final Four and could win a national title, the more they win throughout the course of this tournament, I'm sure that the story is going to pick up a lot of steam amongst the people who aren't college basketball fans or not even particular sports fans. And we all know that the casual or even the non-sports fan, they get into the tournament specifically for gambling purposes with the brackets. But let's see if Brandon Miller is going to hit a big shot, let's say, to go to a regional final 
or to a Sweet 16 or even a Final Four and Alabama continues to roll here to where the university is going to be under pressure to say, why is this kid still playing? The events that took place in January, why hasn't this come to fruition to the point where the kid should have been suspended? We know that Miles got kicked off the team and Miller, although he's an accomplice and didn't pull the trigger, but still a lot of people are going to be up in arms to wonder, wait a minute, why wasn't this kid suspended or disciplined to the point where he shouldn't be playing throughout this NCAA tournament? So that's one thing we have to pay attention to, knowing that they're a top seed, and it's strange how these sports gods work. We knew that Alabama's had a big year, and we knew that Alabama was in all likelihood going to be a one seed. But for them to be overall out of the 68 teams and when it becomes 64 after Wednesday night, to know that Alabama is going to be feeling the pressure pretty much from the start, obviously not the first game. Nobody's going to look at Alabama as a team that is going to succumb to the pressure, especially in a 116 matchup. And although we did see it a few years ago with Virginia, but there's no way that either one of the two teams that are going to come out of that Tuesday night bracket to the tune of an upset, whether it's Southeast Missouri State or Texas A&M of Corpus Christi. So that's the one team that everybody's going to look ahead and see how they're going to fare in this tournament based on the cloud that may not be hanging over them now, but again, once they start gaining traction into the tournament, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of buzz surrounding that team depending on how far they go with Miller on the team and depending on how well he does. So that's one to keep an eye on. As far as the other 3-1 seeds, Kansas, who got whacked by Texas, and we know Texas has never been a big-time tournament team, but for Kansas and Bill Self, who had to be out of the sidelines or was not on the bench there over the course of the weekend, where on Wednesday night, came down with some chest tightness and was not feeling well, to the point where he has been released from the hospital, he is in good condition, chances are we'll probably see him in the first round matchup come later this week. But for Kansas, as they're looking to defend their title, the first time that a team will do that and hopes to get back-to-back national championships, remember the Florida Gators did that in the 06-07 run that was Billy Donovan with Joachim Noah and Corey Brewer and guys like that, Al Horford, can't forget him. So Bill Self is going to see if he could try to get his team who has played very well this year other than the Big 12 championship. But can Kansas make a run back to a Final Four and win the whole thing? Why not? That's not to say they're going to. I'm not going to stand here and say that, yes, they're going to be on the fast track to winning or getting to a Final Four and winning a national title. But I would think their chances are just as good as any of the other ones or twos or pretty much anybody in this tournament that's probably at least in the top 12 in each of the brackets. Because you would think from 13 down, and who knows, we could see a Cinderella from 13 go all the way to a Final Four, and we just don't know. But as it is right now, we would think that Kansas, they're going to be all systems go, and knowing that they're going to have their coach back on the sidelines is going to be huge. For the Jayhawks. As far as Houston, another top seed who has played very well this year. They did lose in their conference championship to Memphis. And the Cougars, led by Kelvin Sampson, 
You have to wonder whether or not his top scoring guard, Marcus Sasser, is going to be healthy enough to go on a big run where he's been suffering a groin injury. And that is going to be a big giant question mark as far as the Cougars going deep into this tournament. And I'm sure when you look at the one seeds, and we all know you could pretty much flip a coin, but this could be the one seed that may get knocked out first, especially if Sasser is not going to be able to go full tilt when they tip off there in their first game. And I'm sure Sasser is going to give it a go. We understand that when you get to this time of the year, you have to gut out these games. But to win six straight, and considering what we've talked about, as wide open as the field has been throughout the course of this year, and now as we shrink down to the final 64, it's going to be a big toss-up on whether or not Sasser is going to be able to give them, forget about six good games, we just need to get one. And take it one step at a time and hopefully Houston could get through the weekend. And you think they should, considering based on where they're at as far as having that 116 advantage. And as we all know, it's just like I said before, not to say they should cruise. Not to say that they should be able to just roll through their opponent. But chances are when they get to that 8-9 game, we all know that that could be one. When you get to the nitty gritty of it, it could be very dicey. And without their top scorer... That could be a problem if you're the Cougars. And then you have the Purdue Boilermakers, who also were number one on several occasions throughout the course of the year, led by Coach Matt Painter. We all know that Zach Eady is going to be a player that everybody's going to pay attention to to see how dominant that he could be. We all know about his height. We all know about his game. And Purdue, historically, they've been awful in the tournament, going way back to Gene Keady and Glenn Robinson, the big dog, if you remember him going back to the early 90s. But for Purdue, they have an excellent shot to get to a Final Four. They have the one player that could certainly dominate. They have the one guy that they could certainly bank on to try to take them and put the team on his shoulders to get to a Final Four. But it's just a matter of how they execute. It's a matter of what they're going to be able to do here, especially in crunch time when games are tight. And Purdue, we've seen it time after time with them Similar to other teams in the tournament, I know I mentioned Texas earlier, which they can never seem to get over the hump. Teams like Tennessee, and this is historically I'm talking about. And we understand that this could change because of the way this year has unfolded. There isn't a dominant college basketball team. There aren't several dominant college basketball teams. So if you get the player that's going to play well and play hot and have that one run where he could just say, Come on, boys, get on my back. I'm going to take us to the Final Four and beyond and hopefully be the last team standing when we cut down the nets down in Houston. So when we take a look at those four seeds, and we understand this isn't your prototypical of the past, North Carolina, Duke, Kansas. Well, Kansas is there this year, but Kentucky, we don't have that. Not this go around, not this time. Here, it's a toss-up of teams that have some controversy in Alabama. Houston with the injured guard, and who knows? I'm sure they're probably going to rally around, not only just for the team's sake, but knowing that the Final Four is pretty much going to be in their backyard if they happen to make it to a Final Four. Purdue, as I mentioned, with the big player. And then lastly, Kansas looking to defend their title and see if they can go back-to-back for the first time in 16 years. So just those four have very intriguing storylines when you go deep into this tournament. And when we take a look at the brackets, as we now will expound and go region to region, 
The South, how I look at it, it's probably the most trickiest and maybe the most competitive. Because when you look at Alabama, when you look at Virginia, who's also been up and down this year, but we understand that Virginia has a little bit of a pedigree, so if you want to bank on that, fine. Arizona is also another team that could certainly be a threat. Baylor, remember, we saw them a couple of years ago win a national championship. So that's another team that you have to really look out for. I mean, other than that, is there a team that could come out there as far as maybe winning around or sneaking into a Sweet 16, being that underdog team to go as far as they possibly can? The first team I look at is Charleston, because if you remember a few weeks back, Charleston was in your top 25, and as a 12 seed, we always look at that 5-12 matchup because... That seems to be the one area where you get a lot of the upsets. You do get some 4-13 upsets. Yes, you do get 6-11, but the sweet spot of the tournament is always 5-12. So here's a case where Charleston going up against San Diego State, that's one you could circle to see whether or not Charleston is going to piggyback off of that regular season that they had and really be maybe a Cinderella coming out of that region, maybe getting into a Sweet 16 or even getting to a regional final. Do I think it's going to happen? I'm going to say no, but that's one team that I'm going to look out for, especially here in this bracket as we move along. And again, when you look at upsets, you're not going to look at 8-9. You're not going to look at 7-10. 6-11, yeah, that's one we could certainly look at and say, wow, that was a shock to know that the 6 seed in that bracket could lose to an 11. As I mentioned, 5-12, 4-13, Certainly one, and then when you go 314, 215, and huh, dare I say 116, those are all upset specials. But generally, you get the 512, it seems, in every tournament where you may get one, sometimes two, maybe even three. So that's the first one I'm going to look at here in what's going to be, I think, the most competitive out of all the brackets. When we go down and look at the East, Purdue, obviously, at the top. The other teams that I want to look out here, Marquette, who had a nice run to a Big East tournament win. And for Marquette to get themselves a two seed, that's a team where we're going to have to also see whether or not they're going to have a lot of gas in their tank and go deep into this tournament. We also have old mainstays in this bracket. When we look at Kentucky as a six seed, when we look at Michigan State, Tom Izzo as a seven seed. Both of those teams, of course, have the pedigree. Same for Duke as a five seed. So a lot of the Blue Bloods are in this bracket. So even though we can look at Purdue, we can look at Marquette, we could also take a peek at Tennessee, who's had a very solid year, and even Kansas State. But those three teams, Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State, are ones that I'm going to keep my eye on because either one of those three teams could go far, and especially Duke, Under first-year coach John Shire, his team going all the way through the ACC and winning the tournament, and they've played very well and been under the radar for a Duke team this year. So for them to make some noise, I would not be surprised. For them to upset the apple cart to the teams like Purdue, to Kansas State, even Arizona, excuse me, even Marquette for that matter, that's one that any one of these teams, I don't know about Kentucky, I don't know if they're going to have the legs to see if they can go deep. Because they've been too erratic for my taste. 
And even Michigan State, we know Tom Izzo has worked some magic. But again, that championship that he got back in 2000 with Mateen Cleaves, again, 23 years ago. And although he's had some runs and although he's made some Final Fours, but they haven't seemed to stick. And we all know they haven't been much ballyhooed. And maybe because they're under the radar a little bit, they may some shock some people. But I don't know. Duke is one team in this bracket that I would certainly have a watchful eye under. And I hate to say it. And everybody thought going into this year without Krzyzewski, Coach K, and maybe not having to deal with the aura and the mystique of Duke, this could be dangerous. This could be one that the Duke haters are going to look at and say, ah, that's all right, they're a five seed. Ah, let's see if Purdue could do it. Remember, Duke went to a Final Four last year, and I get it, under Coach K, and now with John Shire, remember, he was the sidekick to Mike Krzyzewski, so he knows how to navigate these scenarios and these situations. I would not be surprised if they come out of this bracket. So that's the South. And as we move to the other bracket, to the right side, and we'll start with the Midwest. Actually, before I get to that Southwest bracket, the one team that I think could be a sleeper here in the East, I'm going to say Providence. And I know that's a risk. That is a toss-up, but I haven't watched Louisiana all year, and they're 13 going up against Tennessee. Oral Roberts, I know that they've actually had some success in the tournament in the past, so maybe they could do some damage, but I'm not going to pick Oral Roberts. USC, I understand they're a double-digit seed at 10 going up against Michigan State, but I'm not going to look at them as a team that, whoa, they're going to shock the world here in this bracket. Montana State or Vermont, I'm not going to look at either one of those two, and of course, I haven't followed them closely, so I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, I think that they could shock the world and get themselves into a Sweet 16 and maybe beyond. I'm not going to say that. Of course, I'm a little bit biased because Providence, close by, Big East, a little bit more familiarity. So I'm going to pick them as far as my surprise as an 11 seed out in the East bracket. As far as the Midwest, that's where Houston resides as the one seed. The teams here, this is probably, I would think, the lightest of all four brackets. And the reason why I say that is because out of the first two I have explained in detailing those two regions in the East and the South, and with the Midwest, and of course I'm going to get to the West in a moment, but the teams that we have here, other than Houston that I'm going to pay attention to, we know Xavier could score, and they're a big-time team. They are going to go up against Kennesaw State. That's the 3-14 matchup. Texas, as I mentioned, they're never a big-time tournament team. Although they're ranked two and they're going to go up against Colgate. But still, I'm not going to look at them as a threat. Now, of course, can these teams make runs and make me look stupid and silly? Of course. I know that basing this on history is very presumptuous. But when you think about when the last time Texas won a national title, come up with it. Because we could sit here all day and say, oh, no, Texas has had success. Texas has been successful here in certain tournaments. I haven't seen it. So I'm going to bypass on Texas and also a team like Indiana where a lot of people are going to look at their history and what they've done. But of course, they haven't won a national title in forever. And I believe the last time they were in a national title was what, 2002 when they lost to Maryland. So yes, I could look at Indiana as also another team that could possibly be a threat. Miami is another one, although they bowed out of the ACC tournament early. But this is a bracket that A, is not really that sexy and B, I kind of hate to say that if Houston doesn't get to a Final Four, I'd be shocked. And it's not to discount the teams here in this region, 
But there really isn't a team that I can look at and say, whoa, yes, I can see this team or Team Y or Team X. If anybody could come out of this region other than Houston, I'm going to look at Xavier. And again, people are going to say, well, there goes Reels' bias again with the Big East, etc. Listen, I haven't seen a lot of these teams. I'm not going to front. And I get it over the past two weeks and doing homework and trying to catch up and see what it is that I could put forth as far as breaking down some of these teams, these regions, and the bracket overall. But are you going to tell me that a team like, let me just pick one out of the hat here, Kent State? Has anybody really watched Kent State all year, even to the die in the wool college basketball fan? Yes, they may have paid attention or seen what they've done from afar, but are they watching Kent State basketball on a night in, night out basis? What about Drake, who's going to go up against Miami? Well, how about them? Now, there's a 5 12 matchup that maybe you have to pay attention to, but still, I'm not going to sit here to say, oh, yeah, you have all these teams, unlike the other bracket that we talked about in the East, where yes, we have Purdue, but you also have Duke, you also have Kentucky. Michigan State, you have teams that have pedigree. In this bracket, in this region, to me, you got nothing. I hate to say it. So, I would think this is Houston's bracket to lose, and I think it's the softest. I don't want to say for the sports conspiracy theorists out there that's going to look at, oh, they gave them a soft landing and a cupcake schedule. That they pretty much rolled out the red carpet for Houston to get to a Final Four pretty much in their backyard. I'm not going to say that because, again, Houston, as we've seen earlier this year, they lost to Temple at home. So we don't know on any given day. And, of course, we talked about Sasser earlier, how his health is going to be a huge factor in the length and depth of what the Cougars do in this tournament. But you could argue whether or not that's the case. I'm not going to look at it that way. But to me, this is by far the easiest bracket, especially for the one seed and one that I don't think is going to be uber competitive when it's all said and done but you know what this is why we watch the games this is why we pay attention to the tournament so we shall see what's going to happen there and then in the west we know about Kansas obviously the one team and again I'm not even going to pick a team in that region to go back to the midwest I'm all over the map right now people so forgive me I'm not going to pick a team that's going to go deep I don't know if Drake or could I say Penn State they're a 10 seed I don't really have a team that's going to come out or I think could do some damage. So I'm just going to leave it at that. If you want me to pick a team, I'll say Penn State because I know Penn State, they had that big shot there toward the end of the regular season that kept their hopes alive as far as the tournament goes. I think that was against Maryland. And for Penn State now that they're in a position to see maybe if they could beat Texas A&M and they could try to go far into this tournament, now they'll probably have to play Xavier in the, you know, when it's all said and done. Now, mind you, they're going to have to play Texas if they do win that game in their opener. But, strange things have happened, so we'll see what will transpire there over the course of these next few days. And then, like I mentioned, out West, Kansas being that one seed, the other teams that is going to be formidable here in this region, you have UCLA, which is going to have a little home cooking, of course, they're going to be out West, like I mentioned. Gonzaga is a team, as we've seen over the Last few years, they've come to the precipice and then fallen short. You also have UConn, which has had a good year, up and down. They started off hot as a pistol. Actually could have been a team that could have threatened to maybe go to a Final Four and maybe even to a national championship, and I still think they can. But it remains to be seen because this is a very competitive bracket. TCU is another team that obviously was in the top 10 this year. 
and has played very well. This is a low-key, unlike the other two brackets, and forget about the bracket that Houston is in, which of course is the Midwest, but this is one where I think any one of these teams could end up being in the Final Four. And when I mean by any one of these teams, yes, I could look at UConn. Yes, I could even look at TCU. Even as a six seed, Gonzaga, as we just talked about. UCLA, remember, they played Gonzaga in a Final Four a couple of years ago. That Jalen Suggs almost half-court shot to win the game in that epic semifinal. When you look back to the 2021 season, as far as a sleeper team, Arizona State, now they have to win their playing game first. But I think they could be a team that could do some damage. So we'll have to wait and see. They're going to have to get out of their playing game first. And as we know, these playing games, sometimes you may get that team that goes on a roll because they have that first game under their belt. They're able to get their sea legs and at least not have those three, four, maybe even five days off depending on when these teams start playing. So I'm going to look at Arizona State. Mind you, they do have to get past, like I said, that first game. And I believe that's against Nevada. Let me just double check that. Uh, I should know this off the top of my head. But again, I know it's my bad because I overlooked those games. Because to me, they're afterthoughts. I always look at the tournament from Thursday on. I don't look at Tuesday and Wednesday. Yes, it is Nevada. So I was right. It wasn't as if I tried to be shifty or crafty to think that it was a team other than Nevada. But I think Arizona State could be that team that could make some noise and maybe be, maybe not go to a Final Four, but I could see this team rattling a few cages and maybe leaving a couple of teams in their wake as they try to push forward and go as far as they can here in this tournament. And the interesting matchup here in this bracket, I talked about UConn, but they're going to play Iona. And Iona is pretty much a stone's throw from where I live in New Rochelle, which is a little bit north of the Bronx. And we all know that Iona is coached by one Rick Pitino. And because of the recent developments is what's happened, not only just in the Big East, but pretty much throughout the country with so many coaches getting fired and a lot of openings that have pretty much over the course of really the last four or five days have just surfaced. But with Pitino... And who knows if he's going to be able to pull off this upset. But if he does, and if Iona is able to have some length here, at least maybe for one weekend, it's going to preempt all the rumors of Rick Pitino going from New Rochelle to Queens off the Union Turnpike. And that team is St. John's. Because St. John's let their coach Mike Anderson go, and the groundswell... Because of Patino, his connection here in New York, being a New York guy, we know his whole resume. And obviously, I don't need to go through that. But if Iona does happen to lose here in this first round against UConn, and he's going to be made available, chances are you're going to see him go right down 95 over the Whitestone Bridge into Queens. And chances are he could be your next Red Storm coach, which I know would be huge. We understand that this college basketball town has not really been a buzz going back to the early 2000s. That's the Eric Barkley, Ron Artest teams. Maybe even late 90s, come to think of it. So for Patino and all of his coaching wizardry, I get it. Let's put the off the court stuff aside and scandals and all that. But if he happens to make his way after being bounced out of the tournament, 
to go to St. John's and be a part of that institution that has not seen success in quite some time. That even their former player, Chris Mullen, who came back and did nothing. But to have Patino come in and to recruit, to get a lot of the local kids, and we understand it's tricky in this day and age with the transfer portal and NILs and all that. But boy, that would be some big time news, not only just for locally, for St. John's, but I think for the sport overall. Because people remember St. John's as that team in the 80s with Chris Mullen, with Walter Berry, coached by Lou Carnesecca. That team could be back if Patino does happen to be the coach when it's all said and done. And speaking of which, no surprise with Patrick Ewing, talking about former players, going back to their alma maters. We talked about this on Thursday's podcast, how Ewing, I didn't think was going to be long for this job. And as it was, we saw what happened there. So Ewing out and... There isn't much more to say about it. He had two awful years coming off of that Big East tournament that he won back in 2021, then got smoked in the opening round against Colorado. And now Georgetown's going to be scuffling and looking around to see who their next coach is going to be. Are they going to try to dig up another former player from the past? I'm not saying it's going to be Alonzo Mourning or Dikembe Mutombo, something like that. But Georgetown... They are a far cry from what they once were. Same for St. John's for that matter. And even if Patino does come there, they're going to give them instant credibility without question. But for Georgetown and even for a lot of the teams in the Big East that once reigned that conference, it is going to be slim pickings and it's going to be an overhaul and really just a tough ride to try to get the top players here to not only stay for a year, but to stay for more than that and see if they could build a program or rebuild a program back to the prominence that they once had going back three, four, maybe even five decades ago. So you know I will certainly keep my eyes on that. Now before I pivot to the NBA, I'm going to say this. I have not filled out my bracket. I will have it done certainly by Thursday's podcast and I record early in the morning. So before the first tip off there on Thursday where all the games will proceed after that, I'll be sure to have my final four. I'll be sure to have it all filled out and go into great detail as to why I feel these teams are going to go to a final four. I'm not even going to give you a teaser as to where I may go. Not because I haven't even started filling them out or have an idea. I do have an idea, but again, I just don't want to throw it off the top of my head. And this is the first time, think about this, that I've had the podcast on a Thursday because even this time last year, I had given you my final four. I've given you everything that the tournament has to offer. And we had to wait till the following Monday to discuss that weekend. But now I could give you the overview as I just did and wait till Thursday to give you my final four picks the national championship, and then who's going to win before the tournament tips off. So leave a little suspense, leave a little bit for Thursday to start off the program and then take it from there. But that's what we have for college basketball as we get ready for the madness. This is the three weeks that everybody looks forward to with all the brackets and all the games and CBS, TNT, TBS, True TV, Cooking Channel, The Food Network, I mean, all these games are everywhere, so get ready people, roll up your sleeves and fill out your brackets because I'm sure the next three days are going to be fun-filled and crazed to say the least when it comes to the sport, so we will certainly look forward to that. 
All right, now as I turn my attention to the pro sports, still have my high tops laced up as we talk about the NBA, and there's not really much to get into here, which is a good thing because I think the NBA is going to take a backseat here over the next few weeks unless something crazy happens, especially when it comes to games, injuries, certain performances, things of that nature. As we know that the tournament pretty much swallows up the NBA, you're not going to see the TNT games on Thursday. You may see them on Tuesday now because... Those games are going to get lost in the Thursday-Friday matchups, not only this week, but the following week when we get into the Sweet 16, because you know you have both doubleheaders there Thursday and Friday. So ESPN obviously will not get to see any NBA games unless they're going to probably have them Sunday evening. If not this Sunday, maybe the following, but the NBA will probably resurface and percolate a lot more once we get past these first couple of rounds. But the big story was Kevin Durant last week when he slipped and fell and turned his ankle where it was feared that he could have been out maybe a minimum of a month. And with the MRI results coming back as it being two to three weeks, that was huge because Phoenix, as they're primed to see if they could get all their ducks in a row, have everybody healthy, especially come April to where they could finally get themselves on track and see if they could get them Back to a final and win it this time. We saw what happened there a couple of years ago against the Bucks. We know historically the Suns have not won an NBA championship going back to 1976 when they lost to the Celtics in six. And then the Suns losing to the Bulls in 93 behind Charles Barkley, Dan Marley and company. And of course losing to Michael Jordan, John Paxson game six as we saw. So let's see if Durant and... Do I need to repeat myself when it comes to his health and how important it is for him to be in uniform, on the court, as much as he possibly can in order for them to get to heights that they've never seen? Yes, so we will see in the next couple of weeks upon his return on how that ankle is going to respond. And that's coming off of the earlier injury that he had this year. Now, mind you, they're not one and the same. Remember, he had that knee issue, but... With Durant and all the miles and everything that has happened to him over the years with his injuries, again, him slipping and turning his ankle, right now, you just exhale if you're a Suns fan and you hope that this is the last of his injuries and hopefully the last that we see of injuries because we want to see him perform at a high level and see if the Suns can get to the promised land. Then you have Luka Doncic where he had an MRI that came back clean on his left thigh but re-injured it and it looks like that's going to be an ongoing thing. We know that the Mavericks are fighting there in that playing scenario when it comes to the Western Conference. And they're going to have to go all systems go, whether with or without him, to see whether or not that they're going to be able to pull a rabbit out of their hat to see if they could fall in the top six. So at least they could have those couple of days off leading into the postseason. And that's another thing that kind of gets underrated. And let's say in a scenario when you are the Mavericks and if Doncic is going to be hampered with this groin or this thigh contusion or whatever it is throughout the remainder of the year, I'm sure their goal is to get to six. And they're only a game behind the Golden State Warriors who are currently in the sixth spot of the Western Conference. And as we talked about ad infinitum, all those teams that are clustered together, whether it's the Clippers who are 10 and a half and in the five seed, well, I'll just go from there down. Clippers are a half game ahead of Golden State as the sixth seed who are a game ahead of the Minnesota Timberwolves who are tied with the Mavericks. And then you have the Jazz and Oklahoma City Thunder 
just a game behind Minnesota and Dallas. And then the Lakers, who are also tied, but on the outside looking in, they lost to the Knicks yesterday, which had them fall out of the playing tournament scenario. And as we know, that's going to be a fight to the finish when it comes to all those teams. But for Doncic and even Kyrie Irving, who I believe is not going to play tonight in their game, I don't even know who they're playing against tonight, but I saw that his status is going to be up in the air. Dallas, this is going to be a slog for them to... I think they're going to make the postseason. I think they'll be fine. But if either one of these guys or both of them are going to be compromised, and especially Luka, because we know that's Luka's team. Who knows what's going to happen to Kyrie in the offseason, but that's a conversation for them. But for the Mavs, they're going to try to do whatever it takes to get that sixth seed because they're going to need Doncic at full peak, 100% capacity. Because let's say if he has to go into that playing tournament, and even worse... As they are currently constituted, they are in the 8th seed, so they would only have to win that first game and then have a couple days off. They do not want to be 9 or 10, because if they happen to fall 9 or 10, they would have to win that game and then win the second game in order to qualify for the top 8 seeds in the conference. So if you're a Mavs fan and you're Mark Cuban, I'm sure you're biting your fingernails and keeping your fingers crossed to hope and pray that you get to that 6th seed to get those days off to recuperate and get yourself primed and ready to see what you could do from that point on. But until then, this is going to be tough sledding for the Mavs. I think they're going to make it to the postseason, but if they're going to have their main star just hobbled from now until the early part of April, and Kyrie, who knows, in and out of the lineup and not 100%, this could be a short stay for the Mavs, whether it is in the playing scenario or even into the postseason altogether. That's something that we're going to have to keep in mind. Besides that, am I going to get freaked out about Denver now losing three in a row and the Kings are just four in a loss behind the, and the Grizzlies for that matter as well, four in a loss behind the Nuggets. And I believe they had, what, a seven and a half or eight in a loss lead as early as maybe eight, ten days ago. I'm not going to get worried if it starts to creep maybe to two or one in the loss, then at that point, I'll be a little bit more concerned. But Denver, who's... Going through a bit of a skid here, a bit of the ebbs and flows of a regular season, but I'm not going to get too crazy knowing that Denver's hit the skids and Sacramento and Memphis have played pretty well here, and who knows about John Morant, and I know he's going to sit out four games, he's probably going to sit out a game or two at the early part of this week, and maybe we'll see him by the weekend, but we'll keep you posted on that as we move it along, but besides that, NBA, that's what we have there, nothing else to really delve into, I know that the Sixers have won five in a row, and they're now a game and a loss behind the Celtics. All right. Something that maybe we'll see how Philly's going to progress here as we move it along. But other than that, that's what we have with the NBA. As far as the NHL, as I lace up my skates, the Eastern Conference wildcard, I think, is going to be an intriguing race from here until the middle of next month. Because other than that, and I'm not going to talk about the Bruins people, so we could put that aside. Although they did lose two of the last three games, they lost that game to Edmonton. And then they split that home and home against Detroit. That's where I'll leave it. No more about the Bruins. Let's move on. But the focus to me is the Eastern Conference and what lies with the wild card. I know we can look out West and Pacific. That's going to be, I would think, a rock fight to see who's going to be the one seed coming out of that division between Vegas, the Kings, and the even the Kraken for that matter. We can't forget about them. Edmonton we could throw in there. Although... Vegas has been on a little bit of a roll, adding some separation, three points ahead of the Kings, 
Four points ahead of the Kraken, and now eight points ahead of the, uh, excuse me, seven points, my math is screwed up. Seven points ahead of Seattle, and eight points ahead of Edmonton. But the wild card race out there, uh-uh. You would think it's pretty much going to be Edmonton and Winnipeg. They're going to get the top two wild card seeds out in the West. There's not much of a threat there. But as far as the East is concerned, excuse me, I did say Winnipeg is actually Colorado because Winnipeg is actually leapfrogged over Colorado to the point where Colorado's now your second wild card team. And wouldn't that be interesting? Could you imagine a team that won the Stanley Cup last year could be an eighth seed in the conference and would have to go up against, right now, the top team would be the Vegas Golden Knights. So, still 15 games to be played, but that would be fascinating to think that a team that went all the way and got the Holy Grail last year could be an eighth seed and could be an upset special, or would it, if Colorado were to play Vegas and beat them in the opening round. But to me, it's going to be about the East only because the Islanders have been on a roll, although they lost Saturday night at home to Washington, and I was actually in the building that night, and they scored a goal in the opening two minutes of the game, and from that point on, they fell asleep. They played terribly, they gave up five goals unanswered throughout the course of the game, and one of them were not scored by Alex Ovechkin, and Washington, who traded off a lot of players before the trade deadline a couple weeks ago, or about 10 days ago or so, and not to say that they were putting up the white flag, but when you start trading off pieces and a team and a season that looks like it was about to go out to sea, they're still going to hang around here. And with the Penguins winning over the weekend at home to Philadelphia and then the Rangers in overtime yesterday, they have now jumped over the Islanders for the number one seed in the wild card just by the slimmest of margins. But also keep this in mind that the Penguins have two games in hand to the Islanders as the Islanders have played 68 games and the Penguins have played 66. So that's something that if you're an Islander fan, you're going to have to be a little bit worried and sweat these last 14 games out because Pittsburgh does have those two games. And Pittsburgh, as we all know, they've been up and down this year as well. But the Islanders currently at 75 points, or excuse me, 76 as my eyes are deceiving me at the moment. The Panthers, 73. And let's see if they can make a push here. Followed by the Capitals, 71. Ottawa, 70. And Buffalo, 69. So I get it that when we look at the bottom rung, with Buffalo and Ottawa, with both of those teams playing 66 games. So remember, those two games in hand are huge because if those are both wins, that's four points for each team. That means they inch closer to the Islanders. So I would think that this race, where there's none in the Atlantic because of the Bruins and Toronto and Tampa, you could even flip-flop them when it's all said and done, but they're going to be same put. I get it that the Devils in Carolina with the Devils shutting out the Hurricanes yesterday at home have now tied the Hurricanes for first place in the Metropolitan Division with 94 points. So I'm sure that's going to go down to the wire. Then you have the Rangers entrenched there at 84 points. I understand that there's six points ahead of the Penguins. And even though with the loss there yesterday and overtime, they're still in good stead in the Metropolitan. But the wildcard race in the East is one that I'm going to pay close attention to because of the Islanders and because of the teams that are in the mix there. But other than that, the hockey, I'm not going to go crazy about Dallas and Minnesota only separated by a point. And Minnesota is going to be without Kirill Kaprizov, their top goal scorer because of a scenario where he got crunched there by the faceoff dot 
where the, and I forgot who it was against, let me think off the top of my head, it was a couple nights ago, I want to say it was against Winnipeg, Logan Stanley, yeah, Logan, yes, yeah, Winnipeg, as I'm connecting the dots in my brain, so for Logan Stanley, who is a big boy, he is 6'7", and he had Caprice off there, which it looked like it was almost like a tackle there at the face-off dot, and Kaprizov, who has a lower body injury, who knows if it's a knee, it may be rumored that it could be a knee, but it could also be a back for that matter, but he's not going to be out of the lineup, and he's one of their, not only just a top goal scorer, he's one of the top goal scorers in the sport, and with him being on the show for three to four weeks, that's going to be a huge blow, so Dallas could maybe get some separation in the division, and that could also mean for the Winnipeg Jets to maybe creep up as they're only five points behind Minnesota in the Western Conference, so you do have a couple of storylines. You do have that injury with Kaprizov and how that's going to fare for the Wild. But to me, I get it. You can look at the Metropolitan Division, who's going to be up on top there. But the Wild Card race is the most intriguing one out of all the races in the NHL. And you know, as we get into the stretch run with about, what, anywhere between 14, 15, 16 games left, you know I'm going to have you covered with everything that's happening on the ice as we move deeper into the month of March. And I'll wrap up with a couple of quickies. The NFL rises for business, the curtain that is, on Wednesday as free agency will begin. You're going to hear a lot of rumors, you're going to hear a lot of talk, and of course a lot of the deals that will be consummated will start to take place from that point on. And the two big ones over the weekend, the first one on Friday, I believe it was Friday, where the Panthers traded with the Chicago Bears for the number one pick overall. So they swap number one picks in the process and they also get DJ Moore, the wide receiver, Chicago that is, for the Panthers first round pick, which will now be ninth, a second rounder for this year, a first rounder for next year, and a second rounder in 2025. So a big haul for the Bears as they try to revamp their team and get themselves back to relevancy We know that they have a quarterback in tow with Justin Fields and the Panthers. They're looking for a quarterback in the worst way. Are they going to go Bryce Young? Are they going to go C.J. Stroud? Are they going to go Will Levis, which could be a little bit of a reach? But we know Levis has been moving up the draft boards quickly. I don't know if it'll be Anthony Richardson, the kid out of Florida. But we know that the Panthers mean business as far as them wanting to draft a quarterback. It's just a matter of which one will it be between now and the end of April. So put that in the back of your memory bank as we'll revisit that come draft time at the end of next month. And then the Rams, with plenty of salary cap issues, as we all know, they sold their souls to the football devil, meaning that they did whatever it took to win a Super Bowl, which they did two years ago or two seasons ago. And of course, it was 13 months ago that they won their Super Bowl in their building out in SoFi. Well... The purging has begun where they let go of Bobby Wagner last week as well as Leonard Floyd, both defensive players, both linebackers, and now they have to trade Jalen Ramsey off to the Miami Dolphins because of the contracts going to Aaron Donald, because of Matthew Stafford, and everything that they did to try to get these players, these mercenaries on their team to win that Super Bowl, well now they can't afford them. Or they're going to have to deal with the salary cap and as we all know that is going to be very tricky for the capologist out there to try to maneuver these players and the Dolphins were one to say we will take them as he goes to Miami for a third round pick and a tight end in a one Hunter Long so 
Look at that. Jalen Ramsey, we know he's an all-pro talent. He has been, a believe, a three-time all-pro. He's made several Pro Bowls. We know the type of defensive player he is. And for him to go along in that secondary with Xavier Howard as the other corner, that is as formidable as a duo that you could possibly have on the same team. So look out there, AFC East, if you're Buffalo, if you're the Jets, if you're the Patriots, and the rest of the AFC are going to have to look at one side of the field or the other, or maybe just the middle of the field, because if you want to try to throw Xavier Howard's way, you can't, or even Jalen Ramsey for that matter. That obviously bolsters their defense and even bolsters their chance to see if they could go deep into the AFC and have an impact in a division and a conference that is a little bit top-heavy, a lot of it with the quarterback play. When you look at Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, all right, you want to throw in Justin Herbert, even though they swallowed a 27-0 lead and then spit it up later on and losing to Jacksonville. All right, you want to even throw in Trevor Lawrence? Okay, maybe you can. The top three you can't even argue, and then you have Tua coming back to see what he could do and if he could stay healthy. So I think the Dolphins made a vast improvement to their defense to really lock down that secondary. And listen, if they have the money, considering that they just traded for Bradley Chubb last year and they gave him all that money on top of Tyreek Hill, on top of several other players, even Xavier Howard, didn't they give him an extension there last year prior to the start of the season? Doesn't matter. It's not my money. It's not my team. But that was a significant upgrade for a Dolphin team that's looking to make some noise there in the AFC next year. Besides that, Nothing much else to really get into. I know Devin McCourty retired after 13 seasons and three Super Bowls, so congratulations to him. Also, a sad bit of news where former Chief wide receiver Otis Taylor, going back to Super Bowl four with Len Dawson, died at the age of 80. Suffered lots of health problems over the last decade, including dementia and Parkinson's disease. So thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the Taylor family as he transitions at the age of 80. There's going to be a lot to talk about, I'm sure, on Thursday's podcast with all the rumors and with the business opening up on Wednesday. So you know Thursday's podcast is going to be on and popping when it comes to what's happening in the NFL. So we'll get into a little bit more at that time. And then finally, with the baseball, I know the WBC is off and running and the USA team lost to Mexico yesterday. And as I talked about last week, or maybe it was the week before that, USA may have a good lineup, but where's their pitching? When you're starting Adam Wainwright in your first matchup in the WBC and you do not have Garrett Cole and you do not have Justin Verlander and you do not have Jacob DeGrom and you don't have any of the other top pitchers in the sport, the Spencer Striders, the Max Freeds, etc. And I understand maybe Freed could play for Israel if he wanted to and I don't even know if he's on that roster. But my point is, is that you don't have any of your top pitchers here in the country that are going to be towing the rubber for this WBC. So who knows how long they're going to be in this tournament. They got smacked by Mexico there yesterday, 11-5. But the one thing I want to discuss, and if you're a Yankee fan, you have to be a little disgusted. Because I remember a few years ago when they went through just a mass unit. They were ravaged by injuries. And again, this is going back, I want to say, probably 2019. It was definitely before the pandemic. This was the year where... All their players were hurt. Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge was hurt a couple times throughout that year where I believe he had that wrist injury and I believe pulled an oblique. You had all these guys just dropping like flies and you thought to yourself, what the hell is going on with the medical staff there up, well in this case in Tampa, not necessarily here on 161st or River Avenue in the Bronx, 
But for the Yankees to now go through what they've gone through here in the early part of spring, where you had early on Nestor Cortez nursing a hamstring injury where he wasn't going to pitch in the WBC, and even his likelihood of making the roster for opening day was suspect. I believe everything is fine now. You would think Cortez will be able to come up with the team to be a part of it come March 30th when the season opens up at Yankee Stadium against the San Francisco Giants. But then you have Frankie Montas, who's going to be out until at least the All-Star break as he had to get shoulder surgery, and I may have discussed that last week. But now you have Carlos Rodon, the guy who they brought in from San Francisco, high-priced free agent, six years, $162 million, where he suffered a forearm strain where the chances of him coming back maybe by mid-April could be dubious. So you may not see him maybe until the latter part of April or even May for that matter. And then you have Harrison Bader who is going to be out with an oblique who could also miss opening day. And you may have to throw Aaron Judge in center field. You may have to get Aaron Hicks if he's right to play left field. Or maybe you have Hicks in center. Who knows? But if you're a Yankee fan... I'm sure you are not ecstatic to know that you have two-fifths of your pitching rotation is going to be out of opening day, and you have to bring up a couple other guys. Maybe Clark Schmidt could be the guy that's going to fill one of those roster spots or one of those spots in the rotation. And a couple of other pitchers that I'm sure they may even get off the scrap heap when it's all said and done. But that is not a good sign for a Yankee team that of course has high expectations that is going to try to get back to an ALCS to see if they could finally after all these years upend the Astros so we think if those will be the last two teams standing so we will certainly see how far along that the Yankees will come the rest of this spring training exhibition season when it comes to injuries and then one last thing I don't know if you saw this but there was a college baseball game over the weekend between Mississippi Valley State and New Orleans to where the umpire, Reggie Drummer, is suspended because of not an egregious, but just an outrageous set of calls behind home plate. And I get it that the batter, his name was Devon Mims, on a 1-1 pitch, he took a curveball that was low. Now that wasn't really egregious. It was low, and you could certainly look back at the umpire and say, my guy, did you think that ball was a little bit low? Now, he did show up the umpire by leveling his bat to where the ball was, or at least where the trajectory of the ball landed. So for Mims to lower his bat to the point where, hey, this is where that ball was, he showed up the umpire. But that does not excuse what he did on the next pitch, if you saw That was a slider that was down and outside by at least a foot and a half, and he called it strike three. To where Mims took off his helmet, he looked like he wanted to fight the umpire. And if I was him, I probably want to do the same thing. I couldn't believe, and I read about it, and I said, "Ah, I'll watch the video later on. And even my wife brought it up in the car yesterday. He said, wow, did you see this situation with this umpire and the strike three and so on and so forth? I said, oh, let me see it. And when I watched it, I almost fell out of my seat. I couldn't believe how bad it was. And again, small potatoes. I understand it's a college game. It's probably Division 2A. And to think they're actually playing college baseball now, which I guess makes sense because when you get to the College World Series in the latter part of June, they got to start pretty much early on. And again, this is in the South. But yes, that was one that if you haven't seen, look it up. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. That, if you're a sports fan, when you watch that, you have to say to yourself, yes, was that a vendetta call? 
from the umpire to the player because you showed him up? Absolutely. But you want to call a high strike or another low strike? That's one thing. But this ball was going to the backstop. And he called it a call strike three. That will do it, my good people. Another episode just about the books. As always, thank you so much for your participation. Thank you so much for just showing up. And that's all I ask of you guys and gals to do as participating to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. And as you know, each and every week, it is never, ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it, people, just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, you could do so at the following on YouTube. As I've been putting up content there, at J Reels, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One Just a Number, and the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, suggestions, hit me up and I'll be more than happy to follow up. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth goes 100 percent to this production, to the upkeep of the website, to the equipment, anything and everything that will make this experience into this microphone through your earbuds or speakers that much more enjoyable, pleasurable, entertaining, informative, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. Sports is in the blood, it's in the DNA, pretty much since day one. And as long as I'm alive and breathing, I'm going to continue to pump out Twice a week, hopefully I can get some guests on board. If you don't know, I'm a one-man operation. It's not like I have a little bit of a team or a couple of people that I can work with to say, hey, can we track down this guy or this girl or this studio host, former athlete, current athlete, etc. It's just yours truly. So that's why I mentioned about you being able to not only subscribe, but also write me a review because each and every time I am in front of this microphone, Nothing but fire, passion, fury, energy with thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praises on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.